Jesus obeying, Jesus proclaiming people. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit called Living Water. And we want to come this morning to an issue that Scripture does not give a lot of clarity on. And it's this idea of being filled with the Spirit. And I just want to start with this observation. And I've made this observation before. A lot of us have a certain invitation or uh, the statement that we say to people when they come to visit our homes, and it's not always necessarily truthful. In fact, sometimes we just lie. That Make yourself at home. I don't know about you, but I don't honestly mean that if I say that. Uh, I mean well in saying it, but I don't really mean it. I mean that I hope that you're comfortable and I hope that you feel welcome, but there's a lot of stuff that's going to be off limits. Uh, I don't want you rummaging through my laundry or through my drawers up in the bedroom. I don't want you going through uh, to look at all the medications that I take. Uh, there's a lot of things that I just prefer that you just, just stay out of. Uh, you know, there's that, always that closet or that drawer that we just shove stuff in and don't really want our guests rummaging through all of that. And so we say it and we mean well, but we don't really mean it. And I think this is uh, one illustration out of a couple that I want to give you this morning about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because we've seen already that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. But now we're left with this question of what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. He's come to live in our house. And the question really comes down to the extent to which we're willing to say, Holy Spirit, make yourself at home. So let's look first of all this morning at the indwelling of the Spirit once again. In other words, the Holy Spirit, as we've seen, comes to live within you when you trust in Christ as Savior. Acts chapter 10, verse 47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So people come to faith in Christ after hearing the gospel, and so there's this immediate proclamation that now that they've come to faith in Christ, they've received the Holy Spirit, and why should we withhold baptizing them? Acts chapter 19, verses 2 and 3. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Now this is a, a key verse, a key passage, that we want to explain just a little bit. Because here there's a question asked, there, there's an assumption of, well, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we have no idea what you're talking about. And so there's this follow-up question into what, into what were you baptized? And they give a very important answer. Their answer was into John's baptism. Now, again, John was baptizing before Jesus came on the scene publicly. So that means that people who were being baptized into John's baptism there was this general sense of they've kind of drifted from Yahweh they, they, or they've never believed in Yahweh and, and now they want to become a, a, a Jewish person or renew their commitment to Judaism. 
there's really not necessarily a sense of trusting in Christ as Savior because Jesus hasn't made himself known yet. And so we have this important distinction that what's happening here isn't people who have come to faith in Christ but have not received the Holy Spirit, but people who are religious and wanted to make a public declaration of their commitment to religion, but still have not entered into relationship with Christ. And so that's the issue that we have here, not people who have come to Christ and not receiving the Holy Spirit. And so we see this clarification made. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So here speaking these Corinthian believers who a lot of them are doing some pretty bizarre things. And Paul writing to them saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand that the things that you're doing with your bodies, which are weird and perverted, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he follows this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Again, the sense of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit now comes to dwell within us. This is one biblical paradigm that we see of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the second relationship is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, or some traditions refer to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This comes down not to an issue of whether or not the Holy Spirit's living in you. This comes down to whether or not the Holy Spirit is allowed to control you and control how you live your life. Of this, A.W. Tozer, a Alliance pastor and author from the, uh, well, almost a century ago, wow. He said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Notice what he's saying there. That God's plan for the life of every believer is that they be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we kind of have this distinction of there's people who are dwelt by the Spirit and there are those who are filled with the Spirit. And, you know, the filling of the Spirit, that's for, you know, those, the superstars or the, the upfront people. And Tozer said, no, this is for everybody. In the same way, we've kind of made this distinction between, well, there's, there's converts, there's people who have trusted in Christ as Savior, and then there's disciples. But the Bible never makes a differentiation between a believer and a disciple. A believer is a disciple. Every Christian is a disciple. Every Christian, Tozer says, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's track this idea through the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. It says, I this is John speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Again, as we've looked at this passage before, the word for baptize here is the same word in Greek that they would use to pickle. 
to immerse something, to saturate something so that, that the cucumber absorbs all of the vinegar and the spices and becomes a pickle. It's this process of being infused and completely transformed into something different. And John is saying, Jesus is going to come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be transformed into something different from the inside out. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Again, John, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1. That's one up there, yep. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, it's important to connect this to the last verse. John said, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, but one is coming, Jesus is coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When does this happen? Well, in Acts chapter 1, says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, pointing to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Keep that in mind. We've got this baptism reference in Matthew chapter 3, Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> in John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, another important distinction for the apostles that before Jesus even ascends into heaven, he gives them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to them. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them. But this is still before Acts chapter 1 when he talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so we jump to Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And they were, when the Holy Spirit comes to Pentecost, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we see this connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. The apostles had already received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, but they were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. That concept will be introduced here at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Then as we follow this progression, we begin to notice a distinction. That from Acts chapter 2, where everybody is filled with the Spirit, we jump ahead four chapters to Acts chapter 6. In choosing out the first deacons, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So what's happened between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6? Everybody's full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, but by Acts chapter 6, when they're trying to find the first deacons, the people are given instructions, find some guys who are known to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't that be everybody? Four chapters ago, it was everybody. But apparently now, four chapters later, it's not true of everybody. And they are told to find some guys who are known, who have a reputation for being filled with the Holy Spirit. So something has happened in these four chapters. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writing to Ephesian believers, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That strikes me as peculiar. Acts chapter 2, every believer was filled with the Holy Spirit. Within four chapters, that's no longer true. 
Some are full of the Spirit. Some have a reputation for not being filled with the Spirit. Paul writes to Ephesian believers and says, hey, guys, you've got to keep on being filled, which means it's not an automatic thing, which means the filling of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is not an automatic thing. Something has shifted. Something has happened. So what we see so far, every believer has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit but not every believer has the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I think we see this pretty clearly in these verses. So that leads us to the third issue, and that is the difference between the two. What's the difference between the two? What happens? What's the difference between a believer who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but who lacks the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Let's look at a couple verses and see if we can piece this together. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It would seem that every believer has a choice whether or not to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that question ultimately comes down to, we're going to look at this in more detail next week, in the evidence of the Holy Spirit. But Galatians begins to hint at this idea that if you are living according to the flesh, if you're engaging in fleshly sinful things, the things you're engaging in are in conflict, are in war with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so if you're embracing a lifestyle of sinful activity or embracing sinful activity and yet still expecting the Holy Spirit to fill you, there's something wrong. You can't have both because the two are at war with each other. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 I think echoes this. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's possible for us as believers to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and yet grieve the Holy Spirit by our choices and the things that we do and the things that we say and the things that we think. And 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 has the same idea. Do not quench the Spirit, literally extinguish a fire. J.B. Phillips in his translation says, never damp the fire of the Spirit. Any campers? Oh, there's like a handful. I'm not, so I'm going to put my hand right back down. I have been camping, though. And I've gone to some men, Christian men's campouts, and one particular time, the, the elder at the church, he had a camper, and he had a, a spot he loved to camp, and he'd invite us all out to go with him. And he loved fires. I've referenced him before. He was a guy who shows up at a campfire or a cookout, and he's got a five-gallon bucket of logs soaked in gasoline. He took his fires seriously. And it's interesting to watch a campfire over the course of an evening. That over the course of the evening, if you don't continually fan into that flame, if you don't keep fueling that fire, it's going to begin to diminish. And so you've got to add more logs, or in his case, add more gasoline-soaked logs. Or, as I found out the next morning, 
there's something else that works too. He had bought a package of the, the Entenmann's donuts. Not great, but when you're camping, it, it'll, it'll work. And he was trying to get the fire back up and going because obviously it had died down overnight. And I was eating one of the donuts and a piece fell off and dropped on the ground. You don't pick up a donut off the dirt and eat it. So I figured I'll just chuck it into this little fire that he's got going. Let's just say that worked about as efficiently as the gasoline-soaked wood did. I almost singed his eyebrows off when I tossed that donut piece in. So donut piece or uh, gasoline-soaked logs, either one worked for helping a fire to grow. Notice what Thessalonians is telling us here. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. In other words, there are things that we can do that will begin to put out that fire, that are going to begin to throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I think that goes right along with what we've seen in Galatians and Ephesians, that there's decisions, behaviors, actions, attitudes, thoughts that can begin to throw water on the fire of the Spirit in our lives. I want to go back to those Ephesians, who again were told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul wrote those words around 60 A.D. About 35 years later, John wrote the book of Revelation. And after 35 years of Paul exhorting them, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, notice what Jesus says to them through John in Revelation 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Within 35 years, the Ephesian church was warned, don't grieve the Spirit. 35 years later, Jesus has a message for them, basically of saying, if you don't do something now, I'm done with you. You're doing all the right things. I mean, you're... you're being patient, you're holding up under persecution, and, and you, you just you look out for those who are preaching false doctrine, and you're holding them accountable to it, and you're doing all these right things, and you're holding true to the, the truth of God's word, but Jesus says you've lost your first love. And in spite of all those great things that you're doing, if you don't fix the first love problem, I'm shutting you down. That's pretty serious. Within 35 years, they went from a people who were commended by Paul to now, 35 years later, Jesus says, I'm about to shut your doors. Every believer has the Holy Spirit, but not every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And initially, the Holy Spirit assumes he has free reign of our lives. But over the course of our lives, as he begins to make himself at home, we kind of, we start pulling doors shut and saying, not, not that one, Lord. I, I have control of that one. 
Let me put it another way. If you ask yourself the question, <clears throat> how is one filled with the Holy Spirit? Scripture is going to disappoint you because it doesn't give a chapter and verse, well, do this, this, and this. But as I consider the verses we've looked at this morning, and there are many others that go along with it, what seems to me the pattern is that when we come to faith in Christ, not only does the Holy Spirit come to dwell in us, but the Holy Spirit fills us. But there's a problem. It doesn't automatically last. And I think there's two components to it. If this is our lives, I'm really, it's just water. Hopefully I'm not going to make a horrible mess out of this. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And the Holy Spirit fills us. And I think a lot of that explains why when someone comes to faith in Christ, there is a passion, there's a joy, there's an excitement, and they're sharing Jesus with their friends, and they can't get enough of Scripture, and they can't pray enough, and everything is wonderful. But I think the problem is, over time, we decide, you know, Lord, I know that you want to rule in my life, but... I don't want to forgive that one person who hurt me. And this habit, I'm not really ready to let go of. And I, I kind of like being critical of others. And I like being judgmental. And, you know, gossip is just so much fun. And it's all these little choices that we make, and suddenly we get a bit leaky. And what we typically do as Christians, you know, it's all leaking out, and we keep saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Now, with all the little holes that I punched, I could spend the rest of the day pouring more and more water into this cup. Is it going to matter? Not really. Because in a matter of seconds, see, I didn't poke a hole at the very bottom, so there's still like a tiny fraction of water. It doesn't take long. There we go. In a matter of seconds, it's about dried up. So I can say, Holy Spirit, fill me all I want, but if I don't deal with those leaks, I'm going to have the same thing happening over and over and over. And I think what we see in Scripture is that initially when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and the Holy Spirit fills us, but we don't want to deal with the leaks. We don't allow him access to those parts of our lives. You know, I want to be critical of other people. I want to be judgmental of other people. I don't want to forgive that person. I want to hold on to my bitterness. I want to keep this habit, or I want to keep this particular part of my life. See, we can keep, if we call spiritual disciplines, a way to align us to the filling of the Spirit. I can pray and study my Bible and, and go to church and do all these things, but ultimately it's just leaking right back out. I think this gets to the heart of those admonitions. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and that sin in you are at war with each other. You can't have it both ways. Don't quench the Spirit's fire. That ultimately, if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see the evidence of that next week, if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to say, Lord, 
I need you to fix the leaks. I need you to show me the leaks in my life. Which isn't just a matter of sin management. We're great at sin management. Let's, let's just hunker down. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, if I have a nice warm peanut butter cookie up here, I can muster all the willpower that I don't, I'm not going to eat it, but eventually I'm going to eat it. And we treat sin that way too. Just say no, just say no, just say no, just say no, just say no. But eventually, we say yes. Now, if I was stuffed after having a good nutritious meal, I'd be a lot less likely to eat that cookie. See, the problem with sin management is all we do is we say no to the temptation rather than allowing Jesus to fulfill that need in us that we want to fill with the cookie. It's not just a matter of, well, I need to just kind of patch up these holes. We need Jesus to just completely fix them. We had our last house in our downstairs half bathroom a whole lot of water just began to pour out of the ceiling. And we had a plumber come to figure out what was going on, and it took him a while, but eventually found there was just a little pinhole in one of the pipes. Now, initially, of course, I don't want to spend all that money to have a plumber fix it properly, so I got one of these as-seen-on-TVs, like Mighty Mendit or something, this putty, you just wrap around it and plug up the hole, and you know, the commercial, a guy puts some on a sailboat, and he's good to go on the river. But all the Mighty Putty did was, instead of the water coming right out the pinhole, it just went to the edges of the putty and then came out. It needed to be completely mended properly. We, we can't just say, okay, Lord, I... Forgive me for gossiping again. Because if that's all there is to it, you're probably going to gossip again tomorrow. The question to wrestle with before the Lord is, Lord, why am I drawn to gossip? Lord, why am I so drawn to be critical of other people? Why am I so drawn to be judgmental? Why do I live in such legalism? Why is that the temptation that tricks me up? Because if we don't get to the bottom of that, the enemy knows what he's doing. He knows his game plan. And he's going to play it over and over and over and over because it works. In football, if you run a play that works, you run it again. And if it works a second time, you run it a third time until the defense figures out how to stop it. The enemy is very smart. And if we don't get to the bottom of, Lord, why this temptation? All of us have different areas of temptation. And the reason for that is the enemy knows what works on you. And what works on you might not work for me, but what works on me might not work for you. He knows your weakness. And he's going to manipulate that weakness over and over if we don't allow Jesus to fill that weakness, to fill that hole, to deal with that in us. And if we want the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen if we just try to manage our sin. It's, it's not going to happen if we just keep letting it, the Holy Spirit just be quenched in our lives and everything just leak out. And, okay, Lord, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm, going, I'm doing all the right things. Why am I not experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit? 
the holes have to be repaired. And sometimes that can be a very painful process of the Lord looking to the deepest, darkest parts of us and allowing him to do what he wants to do. There's a show on TV about people who have a hoarding addiction and just their houses are packed with stuff. And they'll have psychologists and social workers come in to try to help them just get it together. And so they walk this person through getting rid of so much of the junk that's in their homes. And if you ever watch these shows, it's fascinating because it's psychologically painful for them to say, yes, I'll throw this away. Or yes, I'll give this away. When we allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign, to truly be at home in our lives, it's going to be hard. Because the Holy Spirit's going to say, okay, great, yeah, you've given me access to the TV. Okay, that, that's fine, but I'm curious about what you've got in that closet, what you've got in that drawer. Oh, Lord, I'd rather you didn't. If we say, Holy Spirit, make yourself at home, he has to have access to every part of our lives to deal with those places where we leak so that we can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.